You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to this episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, season nine, episode forty-seven. Uh, we better change our introduction because usually I'm saying this week's episode, but this is our second episode of the week. Um, so I'm John. And joined by John, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, we um we had a good uh, bit of reaction to the the Kennedy podcast, um, which is great. So no, thanks to everyone who interacted with that, and I'm looking forward to what we've got lined up tonight. Oh, I definitely, I've got a good bit of banter as well with Ken as well the other night, and uh, he was good crack, mm-hmm. and then good reactions afterwards, definitely. Um, so I. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're lucky enough to have another guest on tonight, um, otherwise we'd probably be getting be really, really enough a second podcast or even any podcast just now with the lack of football content. <laughs> um, so we've Vets, Hibs, Derby, Portsmouth, Stoke, Dunfermline player, uh, and current Albion Rovers manager, Kevin Harper. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm good, boys. You? Yeah, good. Caught as well as we can. What about yourself ah, in the ah, circumstances? Well, I've got four kids, so... Uh, the youngest two, one that's just walking, just started walking, she's just started walking, and a five-year-old, they're the, they're the hardest two, uh, but the older, the older ones, one at 13 and 20, they're, they're not too bad, they're, they're, they're climbing the walls just a little bit, I think, but the five-year-old certainly go crazy. Do you manage to get the older ones to get out of walk with you, or is that no, no go? あ、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、でも、で
Uh, but you have to look at it in terms of how can we? Are we going to disrupt another season? Yeah, we might still disrupt her another season, but certainly not going to start in you know September, October time. I don't think. Aye, definitely. It's not it's an enviable task. Whoever's having, people that are having to deal with this kind of thing, and I think no matter what decision was made, John, we've discussed that a good few times. You're not going to keep everyone happy. You never, you never do in football. That's the thing. You know, I think, I think we're caught between a rock and a hard place. You know, I think the, the Premier League teams, you know, the, you know, they want to finish it. They've got a little bit more money, so they can. You know, if it, if it comes to it, they can self-isolate. They have to self-isolate their players and keep them in lockdown. Certain, they've got certain things that they have to do, but certainly in our leagues, we can't. We're part-time. You know, some people are working, some are, some are not at this current moment in time, purely because of the COVID-19. Uh, so I think for me, especially in our leagues, it's very, very difficult. You know, we've got to obviously think about how much money we're going to, we're going to lose. You know, I know a lot of teams are followed, a lot of, uh, most of their staff. You know, so you know they're, they're saving, they're saving, certainly saving money there. Uh, but for me, it's it's probably the right thing to do. Aye, because it's even been confirmed in the the Premiership today that Motherwell have followed their players. Yeah, so you know, it's I think it's I think it's a difficult. We're, we're really in a difficult situation. I think it's it's sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. By the SPFL, you know, this. The, you know, the, the powers that be, even the government, you know, you're going to have people saying they should be doing this and they should be doing that. You've got others saying, no, nah, just do this. You know, so there's so, there's so many different different takes on it. Yeah, the other interesting thing, obviously, just now that's come about with it is the talk of reconstruction. So obviously there's the board and the panel that's been put together to try and decide what's going to happen. If you had much say in terms of managers and players getting asked, what you think of it yeah. as well? No, no, I've not, I've not had, I've not had any question on it. You know, the only question is that I've had on it is what, what do you think of it? You know, it's nothing. What, what do you think in the sense of how we can reconstruct? You know, I've not had any, any influence on that at all. Not even been asked the question, if I'm honest. Not at all. What, what are your views on it from a personal point of view? What do you think? I think, I think from a personal point of view, I think it's probably. I think Cove are probably going to be the most disappointed along with, you know, Bora and Kelty. I think they're going to be the ones that are, are going to certainly lose out on it. I can see, I can see Clyde, Peterhead, Forfar and, uh, Stran Ra. are probably cut adrift a little bit, you know, so I think it would be probably difficult for them to, to stay up. You know, Breakin will be delighted as well. Uh, but for me, Thing you might be, it might be worth looking at a 14-14-16. If you're going to do it in three, get Kelty and Brora up, you know, so that there's there's 16 in the the bottom league. You know, there's there's probably you're going to play each other twice. Maybe two going two going down, bottom two going down. You know, in a playoff, something like that. You know, so that we can we can maybe refix it next season. You know, but. I think it's a, a difficult one. Kelty and Bora, you know, one of them deserve to come up because they've obviously been top of the league. Cove are just really, really unfortunate. You know, I, I think that's, I think that's the thing. But you know, you could, you could do it so many different ways. But you know, people are just, people are still going to be moaning about it. I think for me, it's got to be the best thing for Scottish football right at this present moment in time. 
you know, Hearts are going to be, if it does get it, Hearts are going to be fortunate as well. They're going to, they're going to stay in the Premier League, you know. But I think when you when you look at it, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been uh, adverse to two, two going up, the top two going up, and, and probably no relegation this year. You'll get yeah. go for League Two, get the uh, Kelty Ambora and our and our division in the top two go up, you know, in each league and keep it, you know, as as we are, and then. Have a longer, have a longer period of the option of reconstruction, so we can have a proper, a proper look at it. Because it just feels for me it's very, very rushed right at this present moment in time. And I think, I don't think, I don't necessarily think it's for the best interest of Scottish football. I think it's for the interest of certain clubs. Aye, yeah, yeah. Well, when you look at the panel, you know the the, the teams that are um, represented in the panel. It's. Um, self-interest is going to come first unfortunately that's been a problem with Scottish football for years um, but just um, with regards to your own club um, you know because you obviously talked about clubs having no um, run out of money you guys have obviously done a crowdfunding which you targeted 10 grand it's now um, over 12 and a half which is fantastic but um, how long will that keep um, Albion Rovers going for? To be honest I don't know I don't I don't get involved in that that sort of thing you know uh, the club through this have been been fantastic you know the, the fans have been fantastic through it as well. You know we are we're in furlough, but the club are topping up the full wage. If you if you want that, you had that option whether you did or not. You know, so in that sense, the club are the club have been fantastic, uh, and the fans getting to twelve thousand, especially in the, the time it is, is you know for a club like us is absolutely sensational. I think that's um, that's tremendous. You know we've been talking about that a lot, um, but. You know, they're obviously um, depending on what pay, um, what media outlet you believe. Um, there's talk that this, um, you know, lockdown can continue for a while, and then when they do um, ease the restrictions, it might be behind closed closed doors for possibly up to Christmas, maybe even beyond. I mean, that would really um, harm you guys. I think I think that's the biggest the biggest worry. You know, moving forward, you know, we we have to yeah, we don't get we don't get massive crowds, but you know, things like season tickets. You know, just pay at the gate, people. You know, just coming to watch the game. Well, I think that that would be that would be a huge dent. You know, for all clubs, not just not just ours. You know, sponsorship, etc., etc. So, I think for I think for me, moving on to next season, that's probably going to be the the most difficult thing. Uh, but then again, you know, if we if we get some sort of football, you know, I think the SPFL then. Have to maybe have a look at it and step in and go right. This is what we're going to do in some way of of giving giving some teams some money that we can stay afloat. Because I think when we get away from football and we get away from the players and the manager, the most important thing is the club survive. You know that's that's the most most important thing. You know it's not it's not about keeping the manager or keeping the players. The most important thing is that when we come out of this, all the clubs have survived and none have went to the wall. And I think that's for me, is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. See, yeah, I, oh, you go, John, John, John. John. all I was just going to say is that um, I, I totally echo that because um, ever since this happened to me, as an Aberdeen supporter, the easy thing for me to say would be is um, it should be all about Aberdeen getting into Europe. No, it's not about that. It's about clubs, everyone um, surviving. You know, we don't want any of these forty-two clubs going to the wall or being close to it. So, yeah, totally echo that. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that we have to look at is. How can we make this? How can we how can we put this to the best advantage for Scottish football? You know, there's there's opportunity here. What the right what the right way of doing it is, I don't know. 
you know, I've got I've got my I've got my thoughts, I've got my my options, but you know, we have to make sure that we're doing the right thing for Scottish football and unfortunately for me it doesn't feel like that. It just feels like as I said earlier, there's certain 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 chairmen, certain people, certain boards just looking after themselves and going make sure that we want to do this rather than opening it up and looking at the bigger picture and saying this can be a fantastic opportunity for Scottish football to redevelop themselves, reinvent themselves and say, yeah, we might we might lose out on it, but in the great scheme of things, how much, if it comes down to money, how much are they really missing out on? You know, if you're, if you're say, getting relegated or you're not getting promotion, you know, that might, that's not going to last forever. You know, teams will go back up. It's a cycle. But the most important thing is making it beneficial for Scottish football. Yeah. See, in terms of, like, um, for trying to plan ahead, which is obviously difficult just now anyway, or probably difficult at the best of times um, in League 2, what's the situation, obviously, if football doesn't start again until, I don't know, say, June-July contract situations with, like, Albion Rovers, how would you be looking player-wise? I think it's, I think for, it's about, you know, first and foremost, the club have to any club has to get a budget and I don't think clubs can do that I think clubs will have many different budgets right at this present moment in time uh, they'll be in a quandary as such of not knowing they'll maybe have an idea they'll maybe have best case worst case scenario budgets you know but until until we find out what's actually happening what structure we're going to have then I think it's very difficult for any club to go to a manager and say this is what you've got. You know, at the end of the day, I was fortunate last year that when we we finished up at the end of the season, the players wanted to stay because, you know, they felt that they could get better under me, under my stewardship, and the, the, club, were, the club were happy for them to stay. You know, whether that's the same this season, I have no idea. But yeah. you, you're looking at a rebuild. It's probably a rebuild every year. You know, if you're, if you're lucky enough to get seven, eight, nine players that want to stay and you can get them to sign the contract, then that, that's perfect. If not, then you're starting to scratch again and you're, you're trying to get the best players for your budget. You know, and for us at Albion Rovers, we know that our budget's the lowest budget in the league, so we know where, what sort of pond we're fishing in. You know, we yeah. have to do every season when, we're, when you look at this season, the teams are better than what they were last season. You know, there's not really been a, a, such a Berwick or an Albion Rovers this season. You know, where there was two, we were cut adrift last year. You know, so for so for us as a as a club, it's about the players that want to stay, tying them down. You know, and if the club want me to stay, that's that's something that we we'll discuss later as soon as we know everything that's everything that's happening. I'm going to come on to uh, one of the first Twitter questions. Um, so it's this from Grant Campbell, who does a, um, a another podcast. He says, does the progress of Cove, Edinburgh City, Brora, Celtic, etc. put additional pressure on a club like Albion to sustain its status on and off the pitch? Without a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. I think if you look at you look at Cove, their budget's probably three times as, as big as ours. Uh, Celtic's probably the same. Edinburgh City might not be as... Might not be three times as much as ours, but probably close to that. You know, so at the end of the day, they can they can attract players for bigger money than what we can. 
you know, their facility is probably better than ours as well. You know, so for, for, for me and for us as a club, it's about, certainly for me as a manager, it's about players that are, that have been in our team, speaking to other players and saying, no, this is what happens. He does this, he does that. Very good. You know, and you hope that when you speak to them, if you, if you want to speak to them, then they buy in on you and they're willing to take a smaller wage because they know what you're going to bring to them. And I speak to, I speak to every single player that I try to sign. You know, I don't pressure anybody into signing. I tell them what, what we're trying to do. Tell, tell them where we're trying to get to, you know, and let them make up their mind. You know, I think if I'm, if I'm honest, we're not coming to Albion Rovers for money. Yeah. You know, and that's no that's no disrespect to that's no disrespect to the club. That's just a fact. You know, if you're looking at mm-hmm. you know some of the Cove players compared to our players, they're probably on three, four, five times what our players are. You know, and that's probably a lot across the board. You know, you know, will be on three, three, maybe double what we pay, and that's 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 what that's what we deal with. You know, that's that's the that's the the matter of that's the facts. You know, so. At the end of the day, we got on with our job. You know, we try and improve every player that comes through our door and wants to sign. And for us, it's about making sure that we we get the right people in with the right character and the right the right uh, desire. Because with all due respect, we can't afford not to make when we're signing players not to make it right. Make sure that they're the right players, a hundred percent. Sometimes, the majority of the time, thankfully, we've got it right. A couple of the times, we've got it wrong. What's the biggest challenge of managing part time level? That's from uh, Cal McFadden of Football CFB. I think the biggest the biggest challenge for me was that I had never been part time before. You know, and people's people's mentality to the, to the game is very different. You know, you're you're working and you're coming you're coming in from working. You can't probably be bothered sometimes coming to training, but you have to go to training. You know, you might be getting a little bit tight for uh, your misses because you've not saw the kids all day. You know, and you have to go and you've maybe had a bad day at work or just a, a real tough day, you know, and you have to get yourself up and we have to, me as a manager, has to motivate and make sure that the sessions are correct. But, you know, I think for me, the hardest thing is not being able to do as much shape and, you know, game-related stuff as, as you can because you've only got you've only got people for, you know, four pretty much four, four hours, four hours a week, you know, and you're trying to cram many different facets of, of the football so you can't really do many just individual stuff where you where you know players need individual stuff so we try to we try to mix it up a lot and try to make it as enjoyable as possible but make sure that they're learning at the same time. On the back of that, uh, we had a Albion Rovers fan of fifty one years, uh, Peter McClug. <laughs> um he was asking how far do you think you can take Albion Rovers? I think is I think is I think for I think for us right at this present moment in time I think staying in the league is is a huge huge bonus to us you know because the league's getting tougher you know there's more money coming into the league and you know our stadium's not you know it's not rented out like most where there's extra income coming in you know so for us I think yeah we want to we want to I always look and say we can get into the playoffs we can get out of the league. You know, that's my ambition every season. You know, 
and I think like last year keeping keeping Albion Rovers in in the league and probably you know saving the club in essence of going possibly to the wall when you look at Berwick Rangers so for me I think we have to have sights set on the top of the league I think every season it starts you have to aim for that you know and sometimes you fall fall below that but my ambition is you know to to get to to win leagues and get promotion that's certainly certainly my ambition it's not to be sitting second bottom or bottom and fighting relegation every year yeah, after I spoke to you at the start of the season, Kevin, I don't know if you remember that, um, but I predicted um, that you guys, because of the run that you've been on at the end of last season, um, I thought you might be outsiders for top four. So how disappointed are you with the fact that you're sitting ninth, albeit unlikely to get relegated, but still a good bit off the plate? No, I'm really disappointed, really disappointed. I think there's been certain, certain, certain parts of the season we had, you know, I know... Just before, just uh, in November time, we went something like five games without a win. Maybe, maybe more than that. But you know, we had eight injuries at that point. You know, and that that really, that really, I think, knocked the confidence. And re- if I'm if I'm honest, we've really been inconsistent. Really, really inconsistent in the sense we we've played some fantastic football and some fantastic some fantastic performances, but we've then had some really, really poor. Performances, where do you think, where did that come from? I just didn't see that coming, you know, and that's probably been the the, the biggest disappointment in the whole season for me because I genuinely believe that we're a better team than what our position shows us, you know. But when I also look at it compared to last season, we've done better in every single column, you know. We've won more games, we've done better in the league cup, better in the Scottish Cup, better in the league. Better goals for, better goals against, you know, better points tally come by this time of the season, you know. So you look at, you look at, I look at the performances, and yeah, I'm disappointed with some of our performances over the course of the season. And you know, as I say, we've had some terrible, terrible luck. You know, certainly in the five games before we finished, I think a refereeing decision cost us at least a goal every single game. You know, and we we lost some. We lost, I think, three day games, three, uh, two, one, one nil. You know, so they were close games. They were decisive, decisive moments. And you know, people say you shouldn't be saying that, but at the end of the day, that's the fact. I've got people to answer to. You know, I've got a board. I've got fans to answer to. You know, referees don't have anybody to answer to. You know, they keep making the same mistakes, and for me, that's really disappointing. So, you know, there's there's really really fine margins in football. There's really, really fine margins in football, and we've just been on the on the wrong side of the fine margins. If I'm if I'm honest, across the season, but you know, when I when I look at it as a as a whole, and as I say again, we were better in the league cup, better in the Scottish cup, better in the league, better points, better goals, better goals conceded. You know, so you look at it and we're do, we're we're going in the right direction as such. Even as well, you had a couple of really good results against Cove Rangers, which not many teams had in the league. No, we have. You know, I, 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 I know on on our day, on our day, we're a match for any team, and that's both you know physically, fitness wise, and able to play. You know, the unfortunate thing is we just weren't consistent enough. Overall, how do you think the job's going for you? 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's had its ups and downs. You know, I think last season going into the going into the season, you know, if I look back in eighteen months of you know, I've learned a hell of a lot in in the time of management, you know, from being seven adrift to, you know, changing a team at, you know, your first job, changing your team after six weeks, six, seven weeks, you know, having to change a, a full a full team. And then, you know, the goalkeeping coach dying and then ending up staying up, you know, with six points, seven points, you know, and saving saving the club and then going into this season and, you know, having a really good start, you know, and then being really inconsistent, you know, having a low, a low point and then going sort of one defeat and eight and then going, you know, losing five again, you know, so it's been, it's been a learning curve, but I think overall, there's lots of lots and lots of positives to take from it. You know, maybe people outside don't see that, but you know, it's a better league this year. There's better teams in it. There's, you know, but for me, I think we've improved, and that's the most important thing for me. You know, I look at it and I look at the club as a as a whole, and is that is that better place than where I came into? Then uh, yeah, for sure. And the staff that you've got, you know, how good have they been? I'm going to give a particular shout to an old friend of mine named J.D. Peacock, your um, sports therapist. Yeah. I think I think the, all the staff, you know, when when I went when I went in there, we had obviously Michael Duke, who sadly passed away as a goalkeeping coach, and J.D. is uh, J.D. Peacock is a sports therapist. Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty much all we had uh, at the start of the season. We had a sports sports psychologist, physio. JD is a sports therapist, the goalkeeping coach, Andy Carl and uh, Ali Graham came in as a as a striking coach, a sports scientist as well. You know, so we we changed the whole the whole structure of it. You know, so for a club of Albion Rovers stature to have that, you know, that amount of people doing it for you know next to nothing and some some for nothing. If I'm honest and expenses, you know, it's it's credit to them, you know, but it's also you also have to sometimes one of your contacts and see who you can who you can lean on and who can help you and you know, I take my hat I, I say thanks to every single person that's helped me throughout, you know, the journey that I've been on, you know, this season and last season. Uh, we're going to take you a few years back. Uh, well, at least I think it's only a few years back because it's the nineties, so it still feels like just a few years back uh, at my age. Um, Bye, back to. Early nineties, um, your youth career, you were at Hutchinson Vale, and then obviously your, your first pro club was Hibs. See at the time before kind of signing for Hibs, was there other kind of clubs in for you? Because you're from, you're kind of lived in the Glasgow area, obviously, didn't you? Yeah, there was there was a few. You know, we, uh, only went to Hutchinson Vale because Alec Miller. I, I was I was playing it. I was playing with Celtic Boys Club at the time, and uh, Alec Miller wanted me to go to Hutchinson Vale, uh, and obviously because I was signed with Hibs, I had no option. Yeah, uh, had went, you know. Uh, but before that, yeah, there was there was there was other clubs. There was other clubs interested. Uh, Hearts were interested. Hibs were interested. Hibs were interested. Both Dundee D clubs were interested. Tottenham were interested. Uh, a few others as well. But for me, I was in it. I was in it. Hibs. I had signed at Hibs as an S form, and I, I felt that that I would get in the first team quicker at Hibs. I had more of a chance of getting in the first team quicker at Hibs and that's what, you know, wasn't something that I thought that I wouldn't get any of a first team anywhere else. 
I knew I would get into the first team. I had that confidence in my ability, but I just felt that for me, Hibs had looked after me really, really well during my S-form time. You know, and I felt that I probably would them the the option of going in and, and seeing what I could do. You know, and in fairness, in fairness to myself and you know, in fairness to Alec Miller, he I made my debut. You know, a year a year after I had signed, and went in uh, full time. I'd made my debut, so I'd been in at sixteen. Uh, well, two weeks before my sixteenth birthday, I'd made my debut at seventeen. So you know, I was in that sense, I had probably made the right. I felt I had made the right decision. So did you have quite a hands-on approach for even the youth set-up as well at Hibs? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, Martin Ferguson took the took the forms at Hamilton, which was which was which was great. You know, and any any holidays we were we were in uh, we were in Easter Road as well. You know, so for me it was it was a real eye-opener and uh, how we had to we had to play. You know, I was getting up at I was getting up at six in the morning and sometimes not getting back to seven at night. You know, when I was when I was full time, but you know, at the end of the day, people have this, you know, thought, that this thought process of footballers are only in there for two two hours a week. Yes, yeah, two hours a day. Sorry, maybe as you get older, yeah, you know, your training is at that time. But for me, as an S form travelling, and I had you know because of traffic, etc., etc. What we had to do before we went to train, you know, I was up at six in the morning, and as I say, sometimes not getting into seven at night. You know, sometimes I was getting in at five. But it was a it was a proper full time job, you know, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the banter with the boys that were there, you know, and obviously my career took a took a really good step. But you know, after a year, you know, I played a couple of reserve games, and then you know I was on, on I made my debut against St Johnson up at up at Perth from from the bench. Did you know how, how uh, soon did you know that you were making your debut? At what point did you know? Well, I was I was tra- just travelling with the first team, you know, and. You sort of you sort of count the players and you go well there's no many here. <laughs> you know, so I think I'm going to, I think I'm at least going to be on the bench. You know, and as I say, I was I was watching, I was I was only thinking about my win bonus to be fair. <laughs> so it was I was just like, we please win, please win and then I, I think we won three one and I, I came on at three one and I was like brilliant. Uh one bonus is well it was much, but you know, at that time it was it was it pretty much trebled my wages, so I was happy with that. Treat yourself in a new shell suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, the the Hibs squad at that time um, had some um, pretty decent players, you know, names off the top of my head, Darren Jackson, Keith Wright, uh, Jim Layton, um, Michael O'Neill and then Pat McGinley had two yeah. spells as well. I mean, just what was it like learning um, under guys like that and training with those guys when you first I, I think came it was, in as youngster? For me, it was, you know, it was, it was something... It was different, you know. I, I always remember the first time I get shouted over to, you know, the first team, you know, the, the manager shouting me over and going over and the, the job from the reserves or the youth team over to the, you know, over to the first team was a was a nervous one, that's for sure. But you know, I think, I think my first my first challenge was a was a was a tackle, you know, and it was a pretty hefty tackle. One of the one of the experienced boys, and you know, I don't think they were too happy, but. You know, at the end of the day, that was that was how how I wanted to make sure that you know, yeah, I'm pretty much if I can say that, shit myself running over. But at the end of the day, once I get in with them, I'm going to be the best that I can be, and you're going to take notice of me if you've not taken notice of me already. Well, you were um, 
you certainly must have done enough impressions to be noticed for um, the the ninety four ninety five season, which is a big breakthrough. Um, probably helps the fact that on day one, Hibs absolutely batter Scottish Cup winners Dundee United five 0 on the opening day, and you get one of the goals. Just what was that feeling like getting your first senior goal? Oh, that was that was that was amazing. You know, it was it, it was it was fantastic, especially East of Road as well. You know, we were we were absolutely cruising. You know, uh, I think Darren Jackson scored two that game, and he was unplayable. I think Michael O'Neill was was immense as well. You know, and I came on, and I was fortunate enough to get slid in. Uh, I think it was Michael O'Neill actually that slid me in, and you know, I, I I put the ball through the goalkeeper's legs, and you know, it was so so good, such a relief, you know, because the previous season I had made my debut and I was sort of flitting out and out and in, but that was the season that probably took off, you know, that in that start, but. You know, it was down to hard work as well. You know, people forget that, you know, I didn't have the... For me, I wasn't... I didn't have a, a massive amount of tricks up my sleeve. You know, I knew what I was good at. You know, I used my pace to... You know, and, and hard working, you know, that got me. That got me to the very top. But, you know, if you... if And that, that is right through my... Even my coaching career, you know, you have to, you have to work hard to get anywhere. You know, and that was... When I scored that goal, it was a bit of a huge, huge bit of satisfaction for all the hard work here. You know, when you're a 13-year-old boy and you're at your training pretty much every every night in the week with several different clubs, and you know, you get two games in a two games in a Saturday, one with the school team, one with your your boys' club, and your mates are the mates are coming up to you, and you go, oh, I can't, I'm going to my bed, I'm of your training, or you know, so all day, all day things were so. That was what it was all worth that that one day. Yeah. Um, also in that season, you ended a um, a big hoodoo, um twenty of twenty two derbies in a row against Hearts when Gordon Hunter scored the winning goal. Um, just what was that like ending that? You know, in terms of the build up and any team talks that were given, and was that a good night out afterwards? <laughs> Firstly, I think I think for me, I was a young kid, so there was. I had never been in it. It was no, it was almost no fear for me. You know, all the the older boys could, you know, you could sense that you heard the build up of it. You know, we've not won in this amount of games, but you know, if I'm honest, because I was living in Glasgow, didn't really get much of it. You know, I think if I had been living in Edinburgh, it would have been really, really full on. But for me, I was fortunate enough. I was in Glasgow, and you know, I didn't, I didn't really take any notice of it. You know, I was just a young kid. You know, thinking, ah, it's it's a it's your rivals. You know, yeah, we've not won in that, but at the end of the day, this is my first derby. No, it's not, it's not my, it's not my history. Yeah, it's the club's history. And, but, the feeling, the feeling when Gordon Hunter scores the goal, you know, was incredible. You know, incredible, credible feeling. And then, at the end, to go in the change room and be able to jump about, silly and shout and scream and let all the emotion and the excitement and, and also, you know, finish a hoodoo was was such a such a feeling for you know. I think for me, yeah, but I think for the players that had been through it so much, like your Gordon Hunters, who had played in so many games and the manager, you know, I think it was probably amazing for them. But for me, it was it was a fantastic. Don't get me wrong, it was a fantastic feeling to beat your rivals in their own backyard and stop a a hoodoo and a continuation of a of a run that was felt forever. But, you know, it was it was such a good feeling and, you know, we done well after that against Hearts. I think my first three derbies I was undefeated, which was never heard of. You know, and 
Uh, night out after it was was pretty good as well. <laughs> well I don't remember. Stuff. Were you were you like to drink? I was I was uh, yeah I was allowed to drink. <laughs> Nobody was going to stop me. You know the manager wasn't on my on my tail, which was which was good. I think if he I think if he was in it, it'd be a different. I'd be telling a different story here. Um, we've got someone you might remember who's got a question for you as well. Um, a guy called Keith. Uh, Keith Wright? Yeah. So, uh, that old guy. <laughs> hi. <laughs> uh, he, we're going to try and have a time girl. He's coming on the podcast at some point in the future. Uh, but he's in the best man, but he's got of you is obviously your, your volley against Hearts at Easter Road. Uh, yeah. I think, like I see, he headed on to you. So that's yeah. that maybe a be memory of him as well. Um, how, I mean, how does that kind of feel when you score goals like that, especially in such big games? I, I, think, I think I always remember because. I had I was just coming back from a hamstring injury and we had played Rangers two days before it, two or three days before it at Ibrooks. And I had came on at half time at uh, Rangers were winning two 0 I'd came on at half time and we ended up getting beat seven 0 so I changed the game that game when I came on <laughs> when I came on for, for the worst. So then we getting the start against Hearts and I remember the new point and scored thinking, holy walking back to the you know, the halfway line thinking just been beat seven and then they've scored after I think it was after six minutes or something. I think Jim Layton had a if memory serves me right, Jim Layton had a great save just beforehand to stop it going to two and and then I think we sort of when it getting it back into the game, you know, Michael O'Neill the crunchy runs down the line, Kevin McAllister puts a great cross in and Michael O'Neill heads a great header, you know, and and then lucky probably to stay on the pitch of attack and, and Jules Rousset you know that it probably makes a little bit more of it, but you know I could have could have been sent off. And then I just remember I remember Darren chipping the ball to Ted and Ted heading it back and you know just hitting it you know clean and it going to the going back going straight into the net for and the celebrations was you know for the fans were wild and it was in front of the front of the Hearts fans which makes it even better and it was New Year's Day you know all culminating and that was the winning goal so you know don't think it gets much better than that scoring the winning goal in the derby in New Year's Day against your rivals in front of your rivals probably the only only better it would have been you know have been for a Scottish Cup Cup final or League Cup final you know but to see the fans and send the fans home home happy you know down to Leith for a a right party in New Year's Day never have to buy a drink again was that your favourite of the two goals against Hearts that we posted on our Twitter poll? Yeah, I think that's, the two that's my favourite, yeah, because I, you know, what it, where it was, you know, the timing, everything. No, I know the, the the other goal was probably one of the goals that probably had a hand in stopping them sort of going for the going for the league. But you know, as I say, New Year's Day, a volley. It was, it was. I'd be proud of anybody scoring that type of goal. You know, it was in again, it's a rival. As I say, it doesn't get much better than that. 
see as a as a white player with the likes of Kevin McAllister and Mickey being a big influence in you, or was there other players in particular you looked up to? I, I think for for me it was you know, I started off as a striker and you know, I always looked at you know Mark Walters was a was a big favourite of mine for you know, he was a black man and for what he went through and how he played, you know, was you know, for was was excellent, you know, he was a fantastic footballer as well as John Barnes as well. So for me it was day players, you know, I, I always felt that I would end up out wide. I didn't I didn't ever feel that you know, I was a I was an out and out striker. You know, I, I don't think I would ever have scored fifteen, twenty goals. I would never be that type of striker. You know, I would probably stretch teams, you know, with my pace, but you know, I think out wide I adapted better. You know, I, I was able to use what what I was good at and that was my pace. You know, so I could I could face people up and get past them, and you know by the end up I could put in a, a, a decent cross as well. So, you know, these John Barnes and Mark Walters were, were sensational players. You know, but as you, as, as I got as I got older, I looked at you know Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, Paulo Di Canio as well. You know, and these these sort of players were were people that I really really looked up to. You know, and you go you go through in your career and you meet and you play alongside. Players that you know blow your mind with the talent or the hard, the work rate or the quality that you have, and you know I was I was fortunate to play play with and alongside and against so many so many great great players. Just on the subject, obviously these kind of guys you looked up to, and obviously yourself as well. Um, Mark Walter certainly there was always um, kind of unfortunately high profile um, racist yeah. incidents with the bananas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Getting thrown and then yourself, you suffered it against Hearts, one of the derbies. Yeah. Um, nothing was obviously done about it. How was that to, to try and cope? How was it to try and cope with something like that? And I think it was disappointing for me because I, I was a young player, you know, and I think the the powers that be swept it under the carpet. You know, the person that, that done it was in the Scotland team. He was Hearts captain, you know. So for for me, it was. Oh, yeah, this is only a young kid, so don't need to really bother about it. We'll just sweep it under the carpet and nothing will come of it. You know, and that's the biggest gripe for me I have. You know, an apology, you know, it's a bit, a bit far now. You know, you get, get an apology or get even, even looked at, you know, didn't get an apology. But at the end of the day, that is what it is. It happened. You know, you can, people can, certain people can deny it all they want. You know, but there's clear footage of it happening. You know, so for me, it, it was it was an unsavoury incident, and the fact that the pills at me never done anything about it, but even it was shown on Scotsport, you could see it on Scotsport, uh, and none of the panelists said anything about it. You know, I had to, I personally had to go and do a paper interview on it to get any publicity for it, which was was really really disappointing from from my side as a as a young kid, as a young kid certainly growing into the game and. Not not having many, you know, black or ethnic minority people in, in the high reaches of of the football fraternity in Scotland at that point in time. And me coming through as somebody that's been in the system, you know, played in the, the 21s, played in Scotland schoolboys and, you know, came through at a club, probably the only black person, it's one of the only black people that have came through the ranks of a club, you know, and played in, played in the Premier League at, with that club. You know, so for me it was it was really really disappointing. Do you think things have improved? I mean, obviously there's a situation just how in management. There's only 
yourself and Noah Dyer? I, I think I, I don't think it's improved. No, no, I don't. I think it's I think it's got worse. You know because as I've said before, for for me to be the first black manager in fifteen years in in Scotland, I've said this before. If that was any other walk of life, there would be an outcry in it. Not having an ethnic or BMA manager or person, you know. At the higher reaches, there would be outcrying it, you know. But there seems to be an acceptance of football that, you know, it's we don't we don't need black or ethnic people in it. You know, yeah, we need them as players, but nah, they're not they're not that good at managing and managing or coaching. And I think they don't get the opportunities that that white managers get, and that's that's a fact. You know, I think Chrissy Houghton and you know. Certain people down south, you know, there's been certain managers that have had chance after chance after chance after chance. But, you know, Keith Curl, for instance, leaving Sol Campbell, starting at the very bottom, an unbelievable man, unbelievable player, you know, captained his country, over 100 caps, and he's starting at, pretty similar to me, at the, the lowest club in the football league. Yeah, and then you could like some Lampard and Gerard got into high-profile jobs. Yeah, you know, and that's... That, don't, get, don't, don't get me wrong, this is this nothing to do with Gerard and Lampard. Fantastic players and deserve what, what they've got. You know, and that's all well, and it's hats off to Rangers for taking, you know, a chance on Stephen Gerrard and, and Frank Lampard. Derby taking it, one of my old clubs taking a chance on Frank Lampard. That's fantastic. And then him getting to, getting to Chelsea, you know, and... I've got no, I've got absolutely no issue with that at all. No issue whatsoever. You know, but you also look at, you know, why did they get the opportunity to go to high profile and Joe Campbell didn't? And that's a question. You know, that's a question. And, and Alec Dyer, you know, would he have got the opportunity to go to Kilmarnock if he hadn't been there? You know, and that's, you know, that's, that for me is, would, would Kilmarnock have took Alex Dyer if he hadn't been there with the previous manager and if he had just put his put his CV in for the job? Nobody nobody knows, but I don't think it would have been as cut and dry as what it was. What do you think when you uh, save um, unsavory instances like um, the, the Shea Logan and Alexander Tonev allegation where the SFA did do something, um, but Celtic pretty much came out and um, hammered the SFA for making that decision because um, they felt that they couldn't prove it. Do you think it's almost like um, you know there's still a lot of work to be done that way if clubs are back backing players who have allegedly not made this a um, remark? I, th- I think there's I think there's a lot still to be done about it. That's a fact. I don't think I don't think we can steer clear of that. You know, if there's evidence there of it, then we should hammer the people and they do it. That's a that's the same. You know, because if you if you're hammering people for getting you know a huge a bad bad tackle, then why if you've got evidence of it, why would you not hammer these people? Because that's the only way that it's going to change. You know, people have to make have to take a stand on it. You know, and I appreciate that it's a difficult subject, but it shouldn't be a difficult subject. You know, because out in out in the civilian world, if somebody is caught racially abusing someone, then you get took to court. 
What's the difference in a, in a football pitch? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the sad thing is we were talking about an incident back from 1996 and then we're now at 2020 and things haven't improved. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a disappointing thing. You know, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm sure the SFA are taking, are trying to take huge steps to to change the culture of it. You know, but you know, until until we make an example of it, then there will always be incidents of it. I don't think you're ever going to eradicate it. That's a, that I don't think. I think there will always be the comment, whether it be from the stand or whether it from be be on the pitch. The unfortunate thing is, I don't think you're ever going to eradicate it, but you can make there be options of what's going to happen should you do it, and make people think before they do. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll, we'll go back to the um, the playing career because uh, one of the tweets we got was from um, at. Grant Home Mix 7 says, fond memories of you ripping Basil Bowley to shreds to the point where he got himself sent off. Um, and he adds to that, what was your favourite game to be involved in, perhaps? I, th- I think there's, 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 been a, there's certainly been a few. You know, there's, there's the, that game, that game with Basil Bowley uh, ended up scoring a winner and a 2-1, a 2-1 victory over Rangers. That, that's certainly one that probably caught, put me into, you know, Stardom as such, people sort of knew, you know, who I was, and that sort of threw me into the into the fire as, as such, into the public eye. Uh, obviously, the games that we beat Hearts, you know, and games that I scored against Hearts were really, really, you know, something, something special, you know. And they are the other the other games that certainly as a as a Hibs player that you know I, I remember fondly. You know, and obviously the Dundee United game where, you know, you, your first your first game, you know, your, your first goal and against St. Johnson, even though I came on as a sub, you know, making my debut and Alec Miller having the faith of putting me in and keeping me in, you know, and that was, that was a huge, that was their huge things in my career and different points, but there's n- probably not one single game that takes precedence over any of them. You know, my debut, my first goal, my winners against Hearts, you know, and the winner against Rangers. Nice. Um, Lewis Cameron, um, who's also known as is the Statement League champion because he puts up um, talent much and which clubs have made statements. Um, he asked a couple of questions, um, one of which I've already covered. Um, he asked, who was the best players uh, Who was the best players that you've played with at Hibs? Best players Probably Mike O'Neill. Was was up there. I was. I think I was fortunate enough to. I was fortunate enough that I played with a lot of good players at Hibs. But if you look at it as a team, it would probably never go down as you know a team that you would remember. If that makes sense, you know, if you're looking at your all-time favorite favorite players or favorite team for Hibs, our team certainly wouldn't be up there at all. But you know, we played good attractive football, and we had really we had really good players at that. You know. I was fortunate enough to play with Ray Wilkins at Hibs as well, who was up there. Darren Jackson, you know, I could I could name pretty much probably every single player in that team because of they all done something that the team needed and that I learned from. You know, Tommy McIntyre, Willie Miller, Jim Layton, John Burridge, 
these are players that I remember and I took things from. So for me, there's probably not one player that I would say that was the, the best that I played with, played with at Hibs, but there was many different ones that added to my understanding of the game and getting to me, getting me to a point of where I could move down south, I think. Probably one of the best bits of information going a little bit off track was I was playing a playing a, a reserve game against Rangers and I was I was playing centre forward and I was playing against Richard Goff and I made this run and after the ball had went I was standing beside him, he said, Hey man, why did you make that run? And I said, oh, I've done it because of this, this and he's like that. There's no chance I would ever go there, so it was a stupid run. You know, and for somebody of Richard Goff's stature to say that to me in a reserve game, you know, this young kid, this young raw kid just want to make a name for myself. I'll never ever forget that and I've spoke to any time I've ever spoke to Richard Goff I've always reminded him of that and he actually fair play to him, he remembers he remembers it. Which is which is always nice because I think I stood in, stood in his toe after that because he gave me a book. <laughs> so <laughs> But no, that's a wee di- bit of diverse, but I think even that information helped me a lot as well. That's fantastic. The other part of the um, question that Lewis asks, um, how the, I'm reading this out word for it, how the hell did we get relegated in 97-98? Um, especially given the fact that Hibs started very well that season. Yeah, I think I think if memory serves me right, we were top at Christmas. I think I think we beat I think we beat Celtic at that point. I don't think you were top at I don't think you were top at Christmas. I think you were top going into like October. I think that, and then you lost four three to Rangers, that's and that's right, just like yeah, began. That's right. That was that was the game. Gaza scored a free kick, uh, and Alberts I think scored two free kicks that game. I think, or vice versa. Uh, I, I think I think what had happened was. I think from me looking at it now, you know, is is a wee bit more experienced. Is probably, I think a lot of experienced players. I think Jim Duffy had brought in a lot of players, and I think he had let go a lot of experienced players. You know, that had been had been there and done it, and I think he let them go pretty much all at the one time. And I think they knew the club, and that's probably one of the things that. Maybe I happened, you know. Looking at, it, I can only, I can only think of that because we didn't do anything different. You know, I just think we really had a real lack of confidence in the players that had knew the club and could deal with. You know, the fans getting on your back when you weren't playing well, weren't there. And I think that's the only thing that I can think was the reasoning. You know, the experience we didn't have the experience of, you know, of Hibs, and that's it. Such, you know, and that's that's nothing. Jim Duffy was was fantastic when he was there. You know, and he's a fantastic guy. You know, I speak to him all the time. But you know, that's only my assumption of it and thought process of it. You know, it might be totally, might be totally different. You know, but you're just looking at looking at it now, and I think that might be one of one of the reasons it might happen because we had so so many talented players. But for us to get relegated, was, was pretty poor. Yeah, I, th- I think you make a decent point there about the experience because you know, being a, a Aberdeen fan, I remember the ninety four ninety five season where we nearly went down mm. and we were lucky enough that we we got out it. But um, you know, we let um, go of a lot of experienced players like Al McLeish went on to become manager. Um, Lee, Lee Richardson left, Robert Connor left, Jim Bett left, that type of thing, and. 
know, the, the team did struggle. Um, yeah. So I can understand that being a point for me. But you were, the previous season, you needed a playoff to, to stay in the league. Yeah. Against Airdrie. No, no, that's right. That's right. That's right. I think it was just probably, you know, things were changing. You know, yeah, experienced players were there and they were probably getting a little bit older and we were bringing... Jim wanted to bring new players in and his players, which most managers want to do. You know, but I just... I just feel that, you know, looking at it now, you know, I'm, I may be I'm probably totally wrong, but, you know, as a, as a young kid, I didn't, I didn't really know then. You know, I, I, if you asked me that question, then I would have said I don't know. You know, but look at it now, we have a wee bit more experience, a wee bit of management. You certainly need experienced players that are, you know, there, because Easter Road can be an unfor- unforgiving place when you're not doing well. You know, the fans let you know, so it takes big characters to deal with that. You know, but when it's when you need the fans, they're 100%. But if they don't think that you're working hard enough and giving the best for the club, then they'll let you know. Like, I suppose most fans, but, you know, they can be they can be as hard as any anyone. You know, that 15,000 can be hard, but, you know, when that 15,000 are right behind you and you're doing the business, it can sound like 30,000 because... Many a game, I remember the, the fans getting right behind us as we were shooting down the hill, and it felt as if we were in the opposition's half the whole half with them right behind us, and they were that they were a twelfth man. I know it's a it's a cliche, but it certainly was. Another question, um, just going back to when you mentioned Gascoigne, because uh, Frank Ramage asked, uh, "How did you find playing against Paul Gascoigne, and what was your approach?" I, I think Gascoigne was. You know, probably one of the best players in the world at, at one point. Well, he was. That's a fact, in my in my opinion. And for for somebody of his caliber to come to Scotland was, don't think you. It's like it's like it was. It always always made the point. It would be like Stevie Gerrard or Wayne Rooney coming to Celtic or Rangers in their prime. You know, 28, 27, 28, and playing. Don't think we'll ever see anything like that happening again. Uh, but for for me playing against Gaza, it was it was a privilege, it was an honour, you know, and it was it was very very difficult. You know, I, I remember that actual four three game. You know, I had had the had down my bed with the flu, and Jim Duffy said, "Oh, by the way, I'm going to play centre midfield, and you're going to mark Paul Gascoigne." All right, okay, thanks very much. <laughs> and you know, just just going to mark him, and you know, playing pretty well against him because. I knew, I knew I didn't have the ability that anywhere near the ability that Paul Gascoigne had, but what I did have was I could be on his face, I could make it tough for him, I would run, I would tackle, I would, you know, just be a, just annoying to him. You know, and I think for probably 70 minutes I'd done really, really well against him and then, and, you know, I was, I was knackered and had to get taken off and, you know, so for me it was, it was, it was fantastic, but, then the seven seven nil game, he just absolutely destroyed us. I think that that season he pretty much won the rain, won Rangers the league on his own. I think he scored a scored a hat trick last game of the season against Aberdeen. I think to, you know, when they when they won the league. So you know, for me, it was an England international, one of the best players in the world at the time. You know, and just a privilege to to be on the same pitch as him. Yeah, Frank did add that uh, he always thought you played well for perhaps against them. So. You get a wee thumbs up if that's a compliment you'd like to take. <laughs> you had good times as well, obviously at Hibs you were recognised internationally about under 21. Um, scored a hat trick as well against Finland. Yeah, yeah. 
good memories there, obviously. Yeah, it was. It was. It was something different for me. You know, I, I felt that I felt that I should have probably got a, a call up to the the national side. You know, at that at that point. You no, know, but the manager felt I wasn't ready. I was in the B, B squad as well. But you know, that's that's the way football goes. I got I had the opportunity. I got the opportunity when I was at Portsmouth. When we were when we won the league, but you know I had had a double hernia and I was I wasn't training I wasn't training I was pretty much just playing games. And I had said to Betty Volks, you know, this is a situation. Uh, I'm not play I'm not training. I can only play because I've got a double hernia. That's what I'm doing. I'm on anti-inflammatories the whole week. You know I, I don't think it would be fair on the on the country, uh, and I don't think it would be fair on me if you if you pick me for this particular game. Uh, and you know, I would probably I played as well, you know, and that would be, be my chance to get a Scotland cap and you know show what I could do. But you know, I wasn't I wasn't prepared to to go and it, you know it probably seventy percent, you know, and I don't think I don't think it was I don't think it was fair on you know me getting called up and not being able to train and then maybe taking somebody's position somebody's opportunity that could have. You know, made made the made the game and probably could have possibly changed the game. You know, and I live with that every day, and that's probably my biggest regret in football not getting a Scotland. Well, it's not my, probably it is my biggest regret in football not getting a not getting a Scotland cap. You know, and I have to live with that decision for the rest of my rest of my days. But it was, I felt it was it was the best best for the best for the country. You know, having. Somebody that was there, it was a hundred percent, rather than someone that was there that was going to be on the treatment table for the whole week and expect to roll out for the game. Um, going back to your club career, obviously there was a disappointment of Hibs getting relegated, but yourself, you moved on to Derby, uh, September nineteen ninety eight, for three hundred thousand pound. Yeah. Like Jim Smith, you there? Yeah, Jim Smith. Yeah, Jim Smith. Jim Smith was a manager. Steve McLaren was the assistant, and Steve Brown was the the first team coach. How did that move come about? Like, it? it was strange because we were, we were playing. We were meant to be playing in the. I think it was Dundee United. We were meant to be playing in the cup. We just played the. I think it was Clyde Bank. Clyde Bank in the league. I was suspended for the first two games of the season. I think. Memory serves me right. We were. Uh, my first game back was Clyde Bank, and I came on as a sub. Two-two uh, draw, and then I got a phone call from. Uh, from Alan McLeish saying that Derby wanted me down in trial. Uh, and literally, that was the Monday. I was down there on the Tuesday, had the game on the Tuesday and came back up on the Wednesday. Uh, and then they, what, they, they said that they wanted to sign me. They had agreed a fee. You know, I was that I was really disappointed to, to leave Hibs. But you know, I think looking at it at that time, Alec probably wanted you know some money to spend on some of the players that he... He wanted to get in, and I was probably the the person that would get him the the most money, you know. And I, I had I didn't I didn't look at it like that at the time, but looking at it now, you know, I understand I understand that. Yeah, that's probably because of because of age, you know. But I went down there, and I was fortunate, you know, to play in the same team as you know Lars Behinen, Igor Stamak, Paolo Bonchop, Dean Sturridge, you know, Mark Poom. So, Chicho Bayano, Stefan Iranio. So, for me, it was a totally different world. 
totally different world, you know. I remember going into the into the training ground and it was immaculate. They had a just a seven aside pitch that they only used on a Friday for a game. You know, their own training ground, massage chairs just before that you went out to train, you had to go in there for fifteen minutes and seeing Ferraris, Aston Martins in the in the car park and I had been I had been used to getting a lift through with Pat McGinley and his wee Hugo. He used to have a Hugo he used to just take through because he didn't want to put miles on his on his on his big car and just being like what is what is this? You know, and fortunate fortunately enough I, you know, I, I played a few games in the Premier League and, you know, learned again what it was about and Steve McLaren and working under Steve McLaren and Jim Smith and Steve and uh, Steve Round was you know Steve McLaren was a as we all know is a is a fantastic, fantastic coach and Jim Smith was a was a fantastic manager and what he'd done and a man man manager and uh, Steve Round was pretty much like Steve McLaren as well. What you obviously mentioned some of the players you played with. What was Paolo Bonchop like in particular? Because I remember watching him back in the day and it looked like he didn't know what he was doing, but he scored some terrific goals. Yeah, I think I think Choppy was like that, you know. But he was strong as an ox, and he was he could put himself about, and he had great ability. Yeah, you might not have known what he was going to do, but you know, as you say, he scored some amount of goals, and he scored really, really important goals. I remember the one he scored against Man U? I think he ran through the halfway line with the ball. You know, at Old Trafford, I think it was. Yeah, you know, and his debut. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That was his debut. Yeah, you know, and just incredible. But I remember, I remember when I went down there, the first game I was involved in was at Aston Villa, and I was on the bench and like Aston Villa. You hear about it and massive, massive club, massive stadium, and you know, at half time one of the we, I think we were getting beat one 0 or we were drawn 0 0 and Jim Smith has a go at one of the players, and one of the players is arguing back with him, and I'm like, what is this happening? And these two are going to end up fighting. The player takes his strip off and goes, I'm not playing the second half. Walks right into the shower. And I'm like, holy shit. What is this? Is... <laughs> I've never seen this before in my life. Steve McLaren has to go in the shower. Ends up getting him back out of the shower. Gets his kit on and he goes out and plays the second half. <laughs> Just like, wow. Are you able to name who it was or are you keeping it confidential? I'll keep it confidential. All right. Fair enough. Uh, it's not. <laughs> So that was my that was my that was my welcome to uh, Premier League in England. Yeah, it's a great moment. That first season, you know, you scored at Anfield. Yeah, that was, that that was my first start. My first start. Yeah. Uh, scored scored against Anfield. We won, uh, scored against Liverpool at Anfield. We won one two one, which was which was brilliant because the players that they they had was, you know, Jamie Redknapp played, Michael Owen played, Fowler played, uh, David James in goals. You know, Patrick Berger played as well. You know, so there was, there was top, top players there. You know, and to score, I, I didn't even know it was a cop. That's how that's how crazy it was. You know, I remember the reporter saying, oh, how's it feel to score at a cop? And me thinking, what's a cop? But oh, yeah. I, I knew, as, as soon as I got on the bus, I knew we'd be at the cop, what, what the cop <laughs> was, how important it was. And then you, were, you get the quarter-final of the FA Cup as well, and like... Like goal for Cano, not you. Yeah, yeah, you know it was, it was. Derby was 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 a was a great great club. It was a good introduction to the Premier League for me. You know, I probably didn't play as much as much as I wanted to, or or should have. I think you know, but you know, it was one of the things that you just you know, 
it was what it was. I was there for, for 18 months and, you know, Jim Smith felt that it was better than me moving on. And, you know, it was probably, for me, it was probably better that I moved on at that time as well. But, you know, unbelievable club. You know, they had just moved into the, the new stadium where they are just now. We were, we were playing the reserve games and, and training at the baseball ground as well. So, you know, just the whole the whole thing of being in the Premier League, you know, a mid-table club. You know, we finished at highest we had finished in, in that season, my full, my first full season there, but my only full season there. Uh, you know, and to see the facility that they had, which was probably only very average compared to, you know, other teams just blew the socks off me because of what I was coming from with, from Hibs. Did you find it frustrating kind of having to come off the bench so much or was it just a case of the team were doing that well it was almost accepted or? No, I was, I was obviously disappointed I think if if you're a footballer and you're happy being on the bench then you're in the wrong occupation I think you know you're a footballer because you want to play first and foremost you want to play every game you know I appreciate that you know some people do play every game and others don't but you know you have to work your socks off and try and get in and, and for me I, I felt that I'd done that certainly in training but you know, I just got overlooked whether it was Jim Smith just didn't trust me or he just felt that you know I wasn't I wasn't right for that particular day, particular games and I don't know, you know, but I think certainly if you're looking at performances and training go to go by then I should have been in the team week in, week out. Were you the type to chat the door and ask why you know? Ah no, I did. I did I chapped the door plenty of times. Plenty of times and I think that's probably that's probably what it was. You just get fed up to it speaking to me and telling me, listen Kevin, you're really close, you're really close, he's like, I'll just I'll just send them send them off somewhere else. Just then on the current maybe a question to ask in terms of you as a manager, how would you feel if players are coming and asking why they're not playing? Is that something you, you like? No, I, I think if they're doing well in training. I think if they're doing it in training and they're doing it when they get the chance to go on the pitch. If they're coming chapping my door I've got no issue with that at all. No issue at all. You know, but it's when they're chapping your door and they've not been doing it in training and they've not been doing it in games and they've spat their dummy out of the pram, then I've got a real issue with that. You know, yeah. you shouldn't be coming in to chap my door unless you're doing it in training and you're doing it in the time when you're on the pitch and you're not sulking. You know, if you're sulking because you're not in the team, I pick the team to win a game and if you're on the bench, then I expect that when you come on, you work your hardest to get that result or you work hard to save that result or to keep the result, and then you go and show me in training. You know, for me, players that go, I'm going to go and show you why I should be in the team, is what you want. You want every player to be like that, and unfortunately not all players are like that. Yeah. You obviously eventually, you got a loan move to Walsall for the end of the season, and then you moved on to Portsmouth. Yeah. Um, and one of the first, um, I need to ask you about Robert Prozinecki. Um, he obviously had a big reputation such a great technical player yeah. despite smoking 20 or 40 a day whatever it was just what was it like playing alongside someone like that and just how good was yeah. it uh, the, don't mean to ask that by Ludrup style the only complaint that I have about Robbie is I wish I was good enough to play alongside him in his prime because when he was at Portsmouth he was absolutely sensational and that's by no means of a lie you know he's literally the best player that I have ever been in the same side as. You know, I played alongside Merce, you know, Paul Merce and Teddy Sheringham, Yukubu, you know, lots of lots of good players, 
Igor Stamak down there. You know, but Robbie was just absolutely, you know, a top, top player, top level player. And you, you understand why he played for Barcelona and Real Madrid. You know, and that, as I say, he came, he came to Portsmouth, he was 32, 32 or 34 maybe. Uh, 32, I think it was. And yeah, he might not have been able to, able to run and he's probably, you know, thinking, why am I here? And us, not technically enough as good as him, but, you know, I was quite happy to do Robbie's running just to be mesmerised by what he could do with a football. You know, I had never ever, I'd never ever seen somebody that technically gifted. Also, as well, same time you played a big crowd. Yeah, I love his podcast. Yeah. He comes across as again, dead, just normal guy. Don't go for a pint with. Yeah, what was he like? Big crowd. He's probably one of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life. You know, such good banter. You know, but as a footballer, he was absolutely quality. Technical, technical ability. You know, he was six foot seven, something like that. But on the ground, he was probably just as good as what he was in the air, you know, if not better. You know, yeah. he was also, he was always destined to go to better places and for Harry to get, get him for, I think he paid 900 grand for him, I think, and he sell him, or 1.2 maybe, and he sell him for what he sold him to, because he always knew, even even playing alongside Crouchy, he was just one of the, just one of the boys that just played football for the love of the game and, as if he was in, as if he was in the playground all the time. You know, his his silks were, his touch, his control, his tricks was was sensational, and he could score a goal. And that was, you know, for for him, probably I know he scored loads of goals with his head, but you know he did score a hell of a lot of goals with his with his feet as well through good good touch, good hold up, and and good skill. Uh, was he one of the guys that was there on the social side? Getting the social nights organised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He tells a he tells a story in his podcast about one night he was out and he had a sharp trout fat one. And I remember I remember when we were getting into this into this uh, night we had been in this club and uh, we all fancy dressed and we had went back out and we sort of get probably thrown out I think because we were a bit rowdy and Big Crouchy puts the shark outfit over the bouncer and realises. <laughs> This is a bad. This is a bad mistake I've done because the bouncer's face is right beside his face, <laughs> and the sharks out. <laughs> but, <laughs> for for comedy value, but also for you know social and good banter. Crouchy's top man, top man. That's why his podcast I forgot about him. I just think he's he's great. Good music yeah. taste as well, <laughs> but, which is always good. But aye, the season, some turnaround in terms of the season what 2001 to 2002 to 2002 2003 yeah. you got promoted oh it was you know the the season the season before the, the season before uh, so we get promoted 2003 sorry 2002 2003 the season uh, 2000 2001 we stayed up in the last game of the season so we did and that was an amazing amazing experience you know for me to see the fans because the fans at Portsmouth are the best fans that I've ever played in in front of and the noise that they make for such a small such a small stadium in the grand scheme of things there's like 18,000 there 
the fans when I went down were a post now through and through. They sing from minute zero to ninety minute consistently, and they get they get behind their team. They're a bit similar to Hibs fans. They can be volatile when you're not doing well, and they don't think that you're that you're giving your best. But when they get behind you and they see that you're giving a hundred percent. Doesn't matter if you win, lose, or draw; they will be behind you 100%. And to stay up in the last game of the season was was an incredible feat. And then two years later, to get promoted to the Premier League, and really by a canter. You know, I know Leicester were close, but we won that league. It was out us in Leicester. We were we were so far ahead of anybody. We. We genuinely believe that if they'd scored five, we'd have probably scored six. You know, and I, I go back to Paul Merson, and he was, although Robbie's probably the best player that I've ever played with, Paul Merson has probably been the player with the biggest influence in a club that I've ever played with. Because his signing at Portsmouth just changed the whole dynamic of that team. You know, he was, he was probably the leader, the you know, the go-to guy, and he led everybody. Don't get me wrong, we had Steve Stone, we had Ted, uh, we had Tim Sherwood, we had Jakubu, Matt Taylor, Manboy Primus, Ari Andrews, Shaka as well. Todd off up top and Jakubu came in as well, but Merce was probably the man. San Luca Festa was there as well. Merce was probably the man that we looked to that gave every single player the confidence along with Harry and along with Jim Smith, the confidence to go out and do what we knew we knew we could do. Because Merce like Robbie could put the ball anywhere. And we were a we were a big side, we were an athletic side, we were a fit side, but we were the best the best team in the league by, you know, as I say, a country mile. And that was that transition from staying up in the last game of the season to to winning the league. That journey that I was able to take with the group of players that were there because there was only there was only maybe four or five players from when I was there that stayed in that team or in that squad that got promoted and Nigel Quasi was one of them. Amboy Prime is Gary O'Neill and uh, I can't remember the other one. Uh, Matt, no, no, it wasn't Matt Taylor. Can't remember the other one, but that journey, that journey that us four took was probably I think they would say the same as well we were the probably the hardest workers in the team we weren't probably certainly myself and Limboy weren't the best the most skillful players in the team that's for sure uh, but I think certainly the players knew what we gave and that was 100% effort 100% at the time whether it was in training whether it was games and they looked at us and, and knew that you know if we if there was an issue or we were in the trenches we would be People that we wanted to, and I think that's why Harry kept us kept us at the club, just for that for that simple reason, you know. And we were fortunate enough to play pretty much near enough every single game in that championship one inside, and you know that is a memory that will never never diminish in my footballing career, no matter no matter what goes, no matter what goes from here on in. What was Harry at that? What was it like playing under? That's the question I was going to ask. Two judges think alike. Harry was Harry was a manager that he didn't really coach that much. 
because I, I don't think he had to because of the players that we had. But what he did do was he made you feel that you were the best player in the world and you could do whatever you whatever you wanted, you know. And that's how he made you feel. And it was it was it was just a it was just a real real fantastic time for for the club, you know. But I also have to and the fans, but I also have to give huge credit to Milan Mandrich as well, the, the chairman, because he did dip into his pocket, you know, and put huge sums a good amount of money of his own money into the club to get us to that point. Yeah, it must have been. Um, That's a, uh, is that the, the highlight of your career? When the first. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I was fortunate enough to win it the next season, although I was on loan at uh, Norwich. You know, we Norwich get promoted that season. You know, so I was part of that. And then, you know, a couple of seasons after, I, I won the, the second division with Walsall. So, you know, for, for a person that didn't fulfil his potential. You know, I would probably say it was, you know, B minus probably. You know, for someone that didn't uh, fulfil his potential to get half three league winners medals is, you know, something something special and something to, you know cherish for, you know, the kids to look at and you know tell the stories to the grandkids eventually if if and when they come. Is that you that gives that assessment that you didn't fulfil your potential, or is that other people that have well, told me. you all that? That's me. That's me, a hundred percent. You know, other people have their opinion on it. You know, at the end of the day, I know that I should have done better. You know, uh, but when I look back on it, and you know, if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, then it would be certainly certainly different. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, I still. I still carved out a, a pretty decent career and played under some pretty decent players, real good players, in fact, you know, and but it was just down to hard work. You know, it was down to down to hard work. The penny 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 probably dropped a little a little too late. Probably in that probably in that league winning season. The penny the penny dropped for me and you know, that's probably why I was in the team because, you know, up until then I worked hard and I trained hard but I didn't do didn't do the extra after training, whereas that season I was in the gym, I was I was out in the pitch, out in the training pitch after everybody had went away. You know, any spare time I was recovering properly. You know, whether it was in the pool, whether it was eating properly. You know, and that was the catalyst to to then go and be able to step up to a, step up to a level that I had to step up to, or I would have been shut out. Is there a bit of disappointment, just going back to Portsmouth, I mean, obviously it was great winning the first division, getting promoted to Premier League, but is there a, a bit of disappointment that you never got a proper crack at playing in the Premier League again when Portsmouth did go into the, the Big Fish? I think I probably knew, I probably knew that I wouldn't get, I, I believed that I was good enough to play in the Premier League, but probably knew that, you know, Harry wasn't, I wasn't going to be one of Harry's players in the Premier League. I knew that he had... Matt Taylor and he had Steve Stone who he preferred and Gianluca Festa he preferred they three to me and as I say I wasn't prepared to sit on the bench and just pick up my money I wanted to play I wanted to play week in week out or have the have the chance to play week in week out and you know the option to go to Norwich came about and I felt that yeah I'll go I'll play I'll show what I can do and I'll go back to Portsmouth and I'll have a real shot at it but it didn't happen you know and then I 
you know, I got the opportunity to go to Stoke under Tony Pulis again, who I like as a, I like as a person first and foremost, and as a manager, uh, he brought he brought probably the best out of me and the the hard work ethic, and I felt that you know it was a good move. Uh, the Stoke thing didn't turn didn't turn out as well as as why why anticipated, but you know that was I had the opportunity to play. And that was the most important thing for me. You know, it didn't it didn't work out. I had a lot of injuries at Stoke, and it just just one of the ones that it just didn't it didn't work out for me. Uh, and probably the back end, of, probably after you know when I went to Walsall, you know, the Stoke move. I, I had from then on in probably to the end of my career, a, a hell of a lot of injuries within that you know six six year period maybe six year five six year period I had. Injury probably after injury, and I was lucky probably to get another five years out of the game. What does Pulis like to play under? Because he strikes you the kind of guy that you know exactly what's required of you. When that's it. You know, you knew you knew what you had to do. You know where you were positioned. You knew your position when they had the ball, when you had the ball, corners. You were you're well drilled. That's for sure. You know, and you were you were very very fit. You know. I know a lot of people don't like the way he plays and it's not attractive but you know it's effective he works he works really hard at it you know and I think people people now I think he probably don't really appreciate what he what he's done from the outside you know because you see the way the teams play and they're very defensive but I think when you look at what he done at Crystal Palace was you know that was something that was something else because they were they were a drafting for him to come in at the time and and keep them up, and you know, by easily keep them up as well. It was it was an incredible feat. He's probably one of those guys that doesn't get the credit he deserves because he's no a trendy manager. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Um, so after Stoke um, was um, you two slows, so as you mentioned, well, so um, and you went out to Carlisle as well. Um, before you um, ended up at Dunfermline in 2007, uh, tasks were getting back up into the Premier League after being relegated. Um, but um, how come it didn't properly work out for you um, with Dunfermline in your eyes? I think I think we had a we had a good enough squad. You know, we obviously Stephen Kenny was a manager at the time. You know, we had he's always been on a bigger and better things. I think he was cutting his teeth. You know, probably in the management game this side, and I think, if I'm honest, I don't think he was able to deal with the players that were there. You know, there was a lot, a lot of experienced players there. You know, I had a lot, of, as I say, I had a, a lot of injuries there as there as well. You know, didn't really get a run at it. You know, and it was just, it was just one of the, you know, probably as I say, the times that pretty similar to Stoke that it just didn't happen. You know, uh, the injuries probably took took their toll if I'm, if I'm being honest and uh, there was times that you know I didn't particularly like the training you know I didn't I didn't get out of my bed looking forward to training you know and looking forward to going into training and and that was that was something for me that you know if I had been excited about training because that's what it's that's what it's about for me you know you have to you have to go into training you have to work your socks off you know and you have to enjoy it no, I would work my socks off, but come out of training, not really learning anything, and 
for me, with the managers that I had played under, I had learned all the time under them. You know, and that was probably the thing for me that it didn't work with Dunfermline. You know, but all credit to Stephen Kenny. I think he's, I certainly know, I certainly know from from his, what he, what he done at Dunfermline to where he is now. He's a totally, totally different person and a totally different coach, which, you know, that's fantastic for, fantastic. I love seeing that. You know, I love seeing people that you probably don't think will want to, you know, do what he's done and then he's, he's adapted, he's probably stuck to his principles, he's got more clearer information on how he wants to play and he's done really, really well for himself. So, you know, for me, that's, that's what it is, you know, and that's just my, that's just my thought on it. You know, that's, he probably, he probably has a, has a different thought on it, but just for me is, as I'd been a more experienced player, it wasn't, it wasn't the sort of environment that I was used to. So just a different standard of training compared to what you'd experienced down south, or? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. That's, you know, that's that's what it is. You know, that's that's what it that's what it was. You know, it was nothing to do with Stephen Kenny, the the, the man. You know, I had never didn't have a run in with Stephen Kenny at all, at all. You know, he was a he was a really really nice guy, really nice guy, and I think he I think under everything, I think he was a he he was a very good coach. You know, it shows that he's went on to, you know, obviously, bigger things. Uh, so, maybe before we move on from your kind of playing career and move on to kind of some quick fire stuff that we like to do at the end of the podcast, a bit of fun um, and stuff like that. So, I know it's recently actually on your Twitter account, you had pictures of top seated swapped over the years. What's the best one that you've got? Your favourite? Uh, probably uh, Philip Lambs of. Uh, Germany. Oh, I was, uh, was in the, the Scotland squad. I, I managed to get Philip Lambs uh, number thirteen jersey uh, when he was number thirteen. So you know that's probably that's probably up there. Who were the funniest characters um, in, the, in the dressing room at any of your clubs? Quick uh, Crouchy, who's got to be up there. Uh, I think as well, Mers. Mers at, at Portsmouth at Hibs. Uh, Joe Tortellano. Got to be, got to be Joe Tortellano. And at Derby, mm, let me think, Derby. Rory Delap, Daryl Pill. Steph, Fanny Ranio as well. It's pretty funny for, you know, a, a Italian guy who's funny. He used to give a, a lot of banter to certain players for not being able to control the ball and stuff. Who was your... Best teammate. Best teammate. Best teammate. Aye, not everyone you've played with. I know you touched a wee bit Alan Lights up present Eric Aven. Don't know whether. Probably best was uh, Mark Burchill. Burchill's a great lad. You know, really enjoyed when he was at Portsmouth. He was really unfortunate. You know, uh, when he when he was there. Uh, probably Burchill. Actually, it's in Fermanham as well, weren't you? Yeah. What, um, what was your favourite beer? Don't drink beer. Don't drink beer or lager. Why? Uh, cider, probably Cidra for me. Stella Artois. And then football, we all like that. This is recently we started asking. Favourite pie? Favourite pie? Favourite pie? Scotch pie. Scotch pie. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah. With beans on top. 
beans on top. That'll be Rovers serve that. Uh, they serve the pie, not with not with beans on top. Aye, I've been telling them the juniors. I go to the juniors quite a fair yeah. bit, uh, and you get a pie and peas. Ah, nah, not nah, a fan nah. of it. It's not something for me, the, but the pie and beans just takes me back to when I was a kid, coming out of slipping, being really starving and going to the shop. I think that was what it was. Aye, just the joy of being starving and then having a, a hot pie with beans on top. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Um, well, you say you've um, listened to some of our podcasts, so you'll know this is coming. Um, name your best eleven, and for you, who who would the manager be? Oh, best eleven. I'm looking forward to that's one with the players you played with. So. Best eleven. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. Uh, let me think. Even the manager's going to be. Yeah, uh, Shaka has up and go. Shaka. I don't even know what system. I'm just going to. I'm going to just. Go eleven players, no matter what system they are. Or do I have to put them in a system? Just do what you want. Pure eleven. Uh, Igor Stamak. Uh, Gordon Hunter. Just try to think. I'm swarming in my chair here. Just wait till you, it's, you'll get the messages from the players you've left out, I'll be asked. <laughs> I know, I know, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Rory Dalat. Is that just for his throw-ins? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Taylor. Matt Taylor. Alexis Merton. Stefano Ranio. Paul Merson. Paul Merson. Robbie Prozaneki. Try to think. Many's that. I think that's nine. Nine. Yes. You, you've that's almost actually come up with a system, I think, by default. Uh, <laughs> Crouchy. <laughs> and Yukubu. Good team. Sorry for that. I've left out. That's the best team before. Right. Who's your manager? Who's my... <sighs> you have to pick a manager. You pick yourself. Uh, <laughs> Go for, I'll go for a bit of every every manager. How's that? Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a cop out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with, I'll go with Tony Pulis purely because you'll have to play an attack side. Uh, and here's uh, here's another one. Who from your players at Albion Rovers would be best on the podcast? Would be best on the podcast. Aye. They're all, all rubbish, to be fair. I'll go with Scott Roberts. Because if I say Declan Burn, then they'll ju- he'll just get pillows and say, ah, you're son of a gaffer. Oh, are you okay, one of them? Yeah, one of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that can be arranged. <laughs> no, in fairness to the in fairness to the boys I've been rovers of uh got a good team a right good team team spirit to be fair. How have you all been how have you been coping in the current situation with the players just in case all the usual WhatsApp, Zooms and all that type of stuff? Yeah, just just WhatsApp really I had I gave them a have uh, been giving them a call this week to be fair to make sure that see how they are and how their families are and stuff and just 
try to keep in touch any information that I have, then I'll pass it on to them, you know, on through WhatsApp. Did they all do their training that they should be doing, keeping fit? Ah, probably in their back garden with a few beers, I think, every day. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, back garden, don't not back garden football, I'm getting a lot of it just now. Schooled <laughs> by a five-year-old. Yeah, no, Aye, completely. I'm the now, so he's enjoying that. <laughs> good, good. Aye, that's brilliant. Any other questions you've got, John? No, I think that's that's everything. No, thanks very much for coming on, Kevin. It's been an absolute pleasure. No worries, um, boys. Thanks very much for, for having me. Hope, no worries, you can come on again anytime. <laughs> right, definitely. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers, Kevin. Cheers, Hi, cheers, Kevin. Cheers, Kevin.